our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. God comforted his captive remnant people in Babylon by telling them and explaining in this chapter that he was superior to idols in very glorious ways. And we want to rejoice in these few verses that we have in this chapter. The Lord's given us a little break in the sense that the chapters are shorter and I can be shorter and maybe spend a little bit longer on each verse and help us to appreciate some of the things that are said in the 28 verses we'll cover today. God comforted the captive Jews in Babylon by reminding them how superior he was to the idol gods of the Babylonians in very glorious ways. He was greater than them in nature. He was greater in them than by prophecy. And he was greater than those idol gods by the salvation that he brought. But let's get going right straight into the chapter. Right straight into the first two verses without any further introduction. We've been over the 40s for a number of Sundays. And we have come to this seventh chapter of the 40s. And we're trusting the Lord to bless us here. The first section is the first two verses. And so I read to you Isaiah 46, verses 1 through 2. Bel boweth down. Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy laden. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop. They bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Amen and amen. Bell boweth down. The hauling away of Babylon's gods by a foreign invader would certainly be of comfort to the Jews who from all appearances, their God had forsaken them. But there was the significant temples and the worship of the Babylonian gods taking place in that city where they were captive. And to hear the prophet of God describe those idols being carried away, that would indeed be a victory over the Babylonians. Because idols were not made of base materials, but of precious materials that had great value. So the idol gods had great value. Bel is one of the Babylonian prime deities, prime idols. Bel, Nebo, Marduk were three of their great gods. Bel is Jupiter Belus, likely Baal, was a chief idol of the Babylonians. And we could go show that in other places along with Isaiah 46. The Chaldeans made compound names just like the Hebrews did, the Hebrews would take Jehovah Jireh and put it together for a name. And Bel, you remember Bel Shazar, was the last king that we read about in Daniel's account in Daniel chapter 5. So Bel was an idol god of theirs and a popular and main one, but Bel is bowing down. Bel is off his stand, he's off his platform, and he's prostrate. He's down. Nebo is Mercury, and the Chaldeans created compound names from Nebo, like 
Nebuchadnezzar. And so the, the devil has always had to ape the people of God. You can find compound names of Jehovah in the book of Genesis. But here they go, and they had Merodach as well with compound names like Evil Merodach and Merodach Baladan. Both names are in the Bible for their three principal deities. But these, these deities, these gods, these idols are bowed down. They're this way instead of vertical. Instead of sitting on their stands, they're down. And they're on the backs of beasts, and they're laid in wagons and being hauled away because the Persians are in town and the Persians don't really care for Babylon very much. They're going to change the capital back to Shushan very quickly like we read about in the book of Esther which today is Susa in Iran. They don't want to be in Iraq. They want to be back in Iran and so they're taking these valuable idols, dropping them into wagons, putting them on the backs of cattle and oxen and hauling them off. And so that is the picture that is presented to the people of God. These gods that are behind the Babylonian army that made its three expeditions into Judah by Nebuchadnezzar and leveled your city, their gods are going into captivity themselves along with the Babylonians. Bel boweth down, Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages... If you were listening, as we went through Psalm 106 a little while ago, and you're paying attention to pronouns, they vary within a verse. God can be addressed in the third person, and then in the second person, and maybe in the first, in a same verse. So don't be confused by this. It wasn't the Babylonians' wagons, it's the Persian wagons. Your wagons were heavy loaded. They are a burden to the weary beast. Hauling all these idols out of Babylon was tiring, even to animals. The Bible says there is much corn in the crib by the strength of the ox. But when an ox has to haul too many idols, even he gets tired. And so we have Isaiah creatively, and it is Isaiah here, creatively mocking and ridiculing the Babylonian idol gods as being impotent, no power against Cyrus. When Cyrus took Babylon, he hauled their idol gods on beasts and in wagons and took them away. And so we have Isaiah 46 in verse 1. Being moved either way, the two idols were bowed down, whether they were on the backs of beasts or whether they were in wagons or carriages, being pulled by those beasts, they were lying down. They weren't erect and upright as they were used to being seen. These heavy statues tested the wagon's limits and the draft animal strength. And the Lord's rejoicing in it. And we should rejoice in it. It's a great verse. Yep. My captive people. It's going to get better. Just hold, just hold on. I want you to think that these pagan gods and idols had to be carried. In order to ever move, they had to be carried. And so they're on the backs of beasts and they're on wagons. And the Lord's making fun of them and comforting His people by doing so. And even the beasts are being wearied by the burden of carrying all this heaviness. The pronouns move from the third person in the first half of the verse to the second person to the Persians in that verse. And it's just, 
If you'll read your Bibles carefully, you will see it all the time. You will not be surprised by it. In prophetic language and in poetry, like David wrote, he does it all the time. And just to see it is to learn how to read the Bible more carefully so that you can identify. The, the Babylonians did not put their gods in wagons. The Persians put their gods in wagons. Right. You say, well, if they knew they were going to be overthrown, they might, the Babylonians, they didn't know they were going to be overthrown. You just need to wait to chapter 47 and remember that it was taken in one night while they were having a party. They didn't know. These are Persian wagons. Verse 2. No, before that, thank you, brother, for mentioning in your prayer about Dagon falling down before the Ark of the Covenant. That's one of the great events in the Bible. The Ark of the Covenant shouldn't have been taken into battle. It was wrongly there. But God didn't care in this respect. That is an object of worship of me. I symbolically dwell between those cherubim. And so when they put that box... It's only four and a half feet long. It's a small little box with those cherubim in front of Dagon. That is the symbolic place of Jehovah. And so, rightly so, and rightly so, Dagon fell down to worship him. Amen. And we rejoice at that story. And the priests come in the morning to offer their sacrifices to Dagon, and he's offering the sacrifice of worship and praise to our God. So they have to set him back up they may have needed pulleys and come-alongs to get that God back onto his stand. And the next day when they come in, he's back down worshiping, but he's lost his hands and his head. And there's just a stump left of him. That is our God, but he wasn't done with them yet, was he? And for the sake of modesty, well, forget it. He gave them mice throughout the land and emeralds in every quarter. So they were going around scratching their secret parts. That's our God. Amen. And chapter 6 is, we need to send this thing home so that our nation can be spared. What do we send with it? And it was golden hemorrhoids and golden mice. Five each. I wonder who modeled. Five each. For the five capital cities of the Philistines. That's our God. It's in the Bible. You know, people don't know the Bible. They don't, so they don't know the God of the Bible. We want to know the God of the Bible, and we want to know the Bible of our God. And so he's making fun of Bel and Nebo here in verse 1. And we remember what he did to Dagon in 1 Samuel 5. But now we come to verse 2. They stoop. It's a plural pronoun. Bel and Nebo stoop. They bow down together. Neither one can stand up. They're both down on the carriages, on the animals, on the wagons, being hauled away by the Persians. They could not deliver the burden. Now they is another plural pronoun stuck in here. They are the Babylonians, could not deliver the burden on the Persian wagons. They couldn't save their own gods, let alone the gods save them. They're in a terrible strait. They couldn't even save their, they could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. You can't have the ones delivering the burden being the same as the burden. The burden are the two, the idol gods, the, the statues. But there were men that should have tried to deliver their gods, and that would be the Babylonians. But gods and Babylonians are into captivity. The animals didn't go into captivity. Those were Persian. They were there to carry wagons and all the stuff 
for the Persian army. But this is the Lord God mocking idolatry of the Babylonians by naming their gods and describing them to the captive Jews as being carried out as spoil from the overthrow of the city of Babylon. Total victory when you can take a person's gods. It's total victory. Can anyone take our God away? Can he ever be put in a wagon and take never, not even close? We laugh at the very idea and to even ask the question is almost preposterous because we have such a great God. The Chaldeans could not rescue their burdensome idols. They themselves were captives. If the pronouns are hard, you've got to learn. You've got to remember to go back to verse 1 and see how they stuck in a plural pronoun there for your carriages being the Persians. But enough about that. I do not want to get distracted with the details. If you read your Bibles and will read these chapters, listen to Psalm 106, read Psalm 106, read any place in the prophets or in poetry of the Bible, you will find this change in pronouns very frequently. The two idols are stooping and bowing by the parallelism with the earliest, earlier verse. They were carried by draft animals and wagons as spoil of Persia, defeating Babylon. They stooped and bowed by their position for transport, no longer erect for the worship of the Babylonians. False religion cannot save its worshipers, and it will be exposed by God as ridiculous. All, of, all false worship will be exposed by God. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 just very quickly. I have seldom done this to you in preaching through Isaiah, but once, but once in a while. Please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it describes the perilous times of the last days. And it describes in verses 1 through 5, 19 symptoms of the perilous times of compromising Christianity. In verses 6 and 7, it describes how these preachers, teachers, creep into houses after silly women because women are vulnerable to false doctrine. Verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres, those are the magicians that withstood Moses in the court of Pharaoh. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Theirs. Janice and Jambres could only go so far. And then they told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, your honor, sir, God of Egypt, this is the finger of God that you've just seen. We cannot duplicate this. And so they were exposed. And we have men today being exposed left and right whether it's 60 Minutes or 2020 that does exposés on Benny Hinn, or whether it takes you three minutes by watching Joel Osteen to know that he's a total joke. They're being exposed, and they will be exposed, for putting wood, hay, and stubble on the one foundation that's been laid, and that one foundation is Christ Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 3. So here we have, in verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 46, false religion of Babylon being exposed, to the comfort of the Jews that were there, where it appeared that God may have forsaken them because nothing had changed for 70 years. But there were about to be great changes brought about, and the great changes would include these gods being on wagons. So we come to verses 3 and 4, which is the next section of this chapter. God bears His people 
and delivers them. Pagan gods had to be carried. Our God carries us. Unbelievable difference of power and care that he provides for us. Verses 3 and 4. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age I am he, and even to whore hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. Amen. amen and amen. In the sixth verse of how firm a foundation that we just sang, it referred to this comparison. This is a creative, prophetic comparison. You should love it. Mocking the gods of the Babylonians, mighty Babylon. She thinks she's going to sit a queen city forever. She'll never be a widow. Her kingdom will last to a thousand generations, like Hitler's 10-year kingdom. That's what men think of themselves and their kingdoms. But the comparison is, the Persians will carry away the gods of the Babylonians. And the beasts, the draft animals, will actually get tired having to pull these heavy lugs. But I carry you. I bear you. I always bear you. I've carried you from birth, and I'll carry you to the end of your life. Has God carried you, my Father? He has. For near 90 years. This is a wonder. I thought many times of you this past week. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob and all the remnant. Let's listen to the Lord with this wonderful and this creative comparison. Babylonian idol gods had to be carried, but Israel's Jehovah carried the Jews himself. What a difference. We sing about it. We should rejoice in it. The reason you're here today is because you came out of the womb and God said live physically. You could have been an abortive very easily. You could have been a miscarried child, but you were preserved by the great God and he's carried you. He's carried you through childhood. When boys were shooting at each other in the woods, when they were lighting fires to burn the place down, when young teen boys were driving faster than they should have, since they have no concept whatsoever of inertia, acceleration, or stopping distances. But God has preserved. He's carried us. I'm like a baby in His arms. And so are you. We drove too fast. We were too aggressive doing this and doing that. Some of the things that we used to do in the water, Michigan is the Great Lakes state. Michigan has 10,000 lakes swimming through the iron apparatus that held up various slides and floats and docks where we would have to put our arms by ourselves and wiggle, this is all underwater, and wiggle through tight little holes 
that now trying to tell you about it, I'm about ready to want to vomit as the, the fish vomited Jonah up on the dry ground. Crazy stuff. Should have been penned there. Should have drowned in our folly. But the Lord's carried us. Have you had close calls? Have you had a vehicle accident? The Lord's carried us. Have you been sick? Have you been under surgery? Have you gone under anesthesia? The Lord's carried us. And He's carried us not just physical survival. He's carried us to this church. He's carried us in progress of doctrine and practice. He's been most merciful to us. And it's such a contrast here. And you should lay hold of this. Hearken unto me. We want to listen to the Lord as He says this. The house of Israel, you're born by me from the belly. I carry you from the womb. And I'm going to carry you your whole life. When your hair is white and gray, which is what whorish means in H-O-A-R, or whore hairs, as it's described here in verse 4, even to your old age, I am God. There is no other, and I'll carry you. I've made you. I've made you. I'll bear you. I'll carry you. I'll deliver you. I'm going to do it all. The Babylonians had to do it all for their gods. They had to manufacture the thing. They had to use pulleys to get the thing to stand upright. And then they, the Persians had to put them on wagons to haul them out of town because they couldn't do anything. But our God does everything for us. What a difference in religion. It's unbelievable that there's any people in the world that would worship the way of verses 1 and 2 when they could worship the ways of 3 and 4. But it's by the grace of God that we even care about 3 and 4, that we know about 3 and 4. And let's rejoice and live for that God. Come on, can every one of you that are more than five years old think of times where the Lord has carried you? You went to China by yourself when you shouldn't have. But the Lord knows you went with the greatest of intentions. It was communist China. You didn't know one word of Mandarin. You ran from police. You hid. And the Lord took care of you. So you came home and you decided you'd go to Mexico instead. Every one of you, oh yeah. Why are you here, Brother Ed? Because the Lord's carried you. And, and it looks like you have a whore crown on top. It's wonderful, brethren. These verses are wonderful. Pretend you're a family gathered in your home in Babylon. And you're reading this. And words come from Daniel that the 70 weeks are fulfilled. Or you've already know that from Jeremiah. And you're reading this right here. Wow, it's wonderful. He's going to carry us home, children. Dad, Dad, we don't have a nice station wagon to drive back to Jerusalem. The Lord's going to carry us. He'll bear us. And you know what? They got there. They got there. Remember the wagons that Pharaoh sent out by commandment for Joseph to bring Jacob into Egypt? That was not friendly conversation. If you go read the passage... I am making a command. You will not object. Your dad and that family will come in wagons and they, will, they won't be walking. That is an order from the throne. And Joseph had to go, poor man, he had to go do it. And then Jacob looked up. I'm just wanting you to delight in this. We could spend the rest of today on these four verses, especially verses 3 and 4. You have tested the Lord more than most. Jerry, and he has borne you anyway. I remember a particular mirth feast where you regaled us with how you had tested the Lord 
and his ability to carry and bear you and get you to where you were going. And you're here with us. Amen. He's been so good to us. And the majority of the world worships in one and two, and there's a small remnant that worships three and four. God not only carries his people from their birth, but he keeps carrying to the very end. God, Jehovah, by these two verses, is our creator, deliverer, provider, and sustainer for all the years of your life. While old age brings your forgetfulness and your insignificance compared to your days of strength, God does not change in his care for you. Old age thins and grays hair, but the mirror of the Bible trumps a bathroom mirror where we can look into the mirror of the Bible and say, God is with me and God will take care of me. So many things could be said. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And he never left. All men forsook the apostle Paul. But Paul said in the last chapter that he wrote, 2 Timothy 4, 17, the Lord stood with me when he was on trial before Nero. He declared that he will freely give us all things after giving us his son. Verses 5 through 8, the third section of Isaiah 46. God is far better than idols by nature. The Lord Jehovah, our God, is better than idols by his nature. The attributes and character traits that make him God. That the nature of God is different than the nature of an idol. An idol is a man-made thing. It's a lug. It's stuff formed into a shape. When our God's the creator of the heavens and the earth, infinite in wisdom and power, he dwells in eternity, which I, I have yet to figure out how you live in eternity, but he has no beginning and he has no end. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Amen. And he's our God. Verse 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? <laughs> Those are some wonderful rhetorical questions. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. They bear him upon the shoulder. They carry him and set him in his place, and he standeth. From his place shall he not remove. Yea, one shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. God is speaking to his remnant people and reminding them they had been idolaters. They had been guilty of this crime of worshiping a statue like Bel, Nebo, and Marduk. They were guilty of it. And so he is saying, remember that in nature, I am totally different from the nature of a man-made wooden or metal god. And so as we had in Psalm 106, remember, remember is here in verse 8, it's remembering that you were once idolaters. And in verse 9, it's remembering how different I have treated you because an idol can't do anything for you. But let, let's look at these verses right here. We've been over verses similar to this as early as chapter 40. We're, I'm talking about the 40s right now. In uh, 
Isaiah chapter 40. And so the rhetorical question was there, and in chapter 41, to whom will you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that we may be like? That's four rhetorical questions demanding an answer. There is no one that we can compare to the Lord Jehovah. He is unique. He's independent. He is I am that I am. I have no peers. I have no competitors. There's nothing like me. There's no one like me. I am God alone. I am the God. There is no other God. And, and you know what the 40s sound like. It's just the Lord going on and on with wonderful language like that. Do you love that kind of language? I love that language. There's, no, there's nothing we've ever met like the God of the Bible. If you put your trust in the greatest of men, they're going to disappoint you repeatedly. They can't fight their way out of a wet paper bag, and I don't care which man you pick, in comparison to this God, and in comparison to his son when he straps his sword on. And go read the first few verses of Psalm 45 sometime. When he puts his sword on, he's a magnificent conqueror, and he has no enemies that he cannot overthrow when he chooses. There is no comparison to God. And so Bel and Nebo, they're man-made. They're made this way. Verse 6, they lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a god. That's where Bel and Nebo came from. That's why the Persians wanted them. They were made of gold and silver. What do you do with gold and silver? You put it in a wagon and take it home and put it in the bank. And so the Persians did that. This is how they made their God. Why were, was the church of God of the Old Testament in Babylon for punishment because they had been idolaters? Remember that in nature I am totally different from idols. How are you going to compare me to anything? What are you going to make to represent me? You know, Catholics love to say, we don't worship that statue of Mary. Well, get up off your knees then, and let's talk about it. <laughs> they say that just represents her to us. Well, the Lord is saying, what are you going to use to represent me? That is why he wouldn't let Moses see anything. And he tells us that if I'd have let those people see anything, they'd have tried to make something like it. When he gave them a brass serpent, how long did they worship it past its expiration date? It got stale in a day. 800 years they worshiped that. Why did God have to bury Moses? Because he'd still be in Jerusalem, his bones would be worshiped. So God buried him. The superstition of men wanting some object. The Lord has treated us differently. He's given us the whole creation. He's given us his son that we get to read about and the character traits of his life. And that son is the express image. Do you want to worship an image? I'll give you an image. The man Christ Jesus. What was his last... His last prayers on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what... That is the image of guilt. What mercy he had for his tormentors and torturers. 
the express image of God, is our Lord Jesus Christ. These Babylonians, my, my children, my children in Babylon, they lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. My children, they bear him upon the shoulder, they carry him and set him in his place that he standeth. From his place shall he not remove, yea, one shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer, nor save him out of his trouble. My children, it's ridiculous. The nature of that thing is, it is inanimate. There's not even an animal spirit in this stupid thing. It's a chunk of wood. It's a chunk of metal. It's nothing. It can't hear. It can't answer. It can't save. It can't do anything. Our little children in this assembly can call upon the God of heaven. Dear God, in Jesus' name, hear me and help me. And that God will come to their rescue. He does hear and he does save. And he's totally different. He's able to breathe into dust and make man a living soul. He's able to breathe in the breath of life when there is no life at all in the inanimate object called an idol god. And so he's different in nature. What are you going to compare me to? There is nothing. Remember how they make theirs. Remember me. And remember this, O transgressors, that you used to worship those things, and that's why you're in Babylon. But I've forgiven you, and I'm coming for you anyway, and I'm going to put their gods in the wagons. And your God's going to carry you all the way back to Jerusalem 1,000 miles. Verse 8, remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Men are rational creatures. Show yourself to have some rational ability by looking at how the Babylonians make their gods and put them in a place where they never move from that place, and then me. Think about it. Man up. Think. Okay? That's, that's what verse 8 is telling us. Remember this and show yourselves men. Be rational. You're not an animal like the Babylonians that have no thinking ability to consider that they made this thing out of the leftover wood of a tree. They can't see it. They're blind. Don't be like that. Be a thinking man. Be rational with me. And remember, the rational, our faith is so logical. Our faith is so rational. Our faith is so reasonable. Our faith never needs to, we don't need to fear questions. We don't need to fear debate. We don't need to fear teaching it. It's so reasonable. It's so logical. Theirs is illogical, irrational, unreasonable. For, for not all men have faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that a reasonable man has faith, and it's unreasonable men that don't have faith. They say that faith is unreasonable. We know that faith is reasonable because we're resting in the great presupposition of all thinking. And the great presupposition of all thinking is... The Bible is true, and creation is true. There is a God named Jehovah that created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and he created all those things for his pleasure and for himself. Amen. And we start from there, and we work forward. Instead of, I don't know, from nothing. There was nothing, then there was energy, and that energy imploded upon itself, and the energy was so dense that it decided to create a butterfly. It just exploded into a butterfly. You know, on and on they go. We, we are rational. And that's what verse 8 is speaking. We come to the next section.
verses 9 through 11. God is far better than idols by prophecy. By the power of prophecy and the power of fulfilled prophecy, God is better than idols. The first lesson, the idols of Babylon will be hauled away on wagons. The next lesson, but I'm going to carry you all the way to when you pass out of this world, I will carry you in a chariot into heaven. I will carry you every moment of your existence. I made you. I will never forsake you. I will always be there for you. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And overhead are his wings fluttering over me. And around me is his embrace. And he takes me by my hand and he leads me to the promised land. If I was creative and verbally competent, I'd start rapping. Then you could give me one of my proverb commentaries. I like one from this week. It's wonderful. What a God we have. So we come to the next lesson. God is far better than idols by prophecy. They had to carry their gods. God carries us. He is totally different from an idol by nature. And he's totally different from an idol by prophecy. Verse 9 of Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. And here is how he's different. This is how he's different than idols. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Amen and amen. As a young man, when I was shown these verses, I love this God. These verses are powerful verses. These verses do not need to escape your understanding. This is talking about Cyrus. Cyrus was named the king of the Persians in 4428. He was named king of the Persians and the rescuer and savior of the Jews in 45.1, this ravenous bird from the east is King Cyrus from a far country, way over there in Iraq, Persia, far east of Babylon, farther east of Jerusalem, from a far country. He was a bird because he moved so quickly in his conquests and came against Babylon. He was ravenous because he, was, he devoured nations and kingdoms. He devoured the Medes and they joined him. He devoured Lydia, which is modern Turkey. Now you go look at a map and put a ruler or a distance measurement on the distance from Shushan or Susa of Iraq to Turkey, which was Lydia. And he defeated the Lydians. And Croesus, the king of the Lydians, one of the richest kings, became Cyrus's counselor. And then he moved south toward Babylon. Quickly, ravenous. He wasn't satisfied. Because he had Media and Lydia didn't mean, well, I've conquered enough. I think I'll go back and retire in Persia. No, he wanted Babylon because God stirred him up for Babylon. He's my, he's my servant. He's my shepherd for my people. I'm going to send him against a hypocritical nation, and he's going to do my work on them. And he's going to do my work on the Babylonians for my people. And so we have these wonderful verses. Verse 8, 
remember this. Remember idolatry and it being so different from our religion. And show yourselves to be rational about this. And remember that you were transgressors. And bring it to mind that I am by nature totally different than an idol. And so that is that lesson. And then there is a divide between eight and nine, and it's coming forward. Remember the former things of old. He's not saying, remember your idolatry from verse eight with fondness. He is saying there's something else to remember from old times, and you should remember those things fondly. And that was how God had rescued them and how God had prophesied of things he would do, and then he did it. And he moves forward by saying, remember this, I mean, remember the former things of old, verse 9, excuse me, for I am God, there's none else, I am God, and there is none like me. And what is it about him that makes him unique? Verse 9 is describing his uniqueness, and it's explained in the next verse, declaring, I tell things before they happen. There's no one like me, and my counsel, it will stand. Do you like those words? Amen. Do you remember... From Daniel chapter 8, their counsel, what did God say? Don't, don't hurt. It shall not stand. Do you remember? Yes. It shall not stand. The world can say that they're going to do something. God says it shall not stand. It doesn't matter whether they say it religiously, politically, or militarily. If God isn't in, in the matter, it shall not stand. Amen. But when God's counsel, when God's war counsel meets, it shall stand. And his counsel is from eternity. He declares the end from the beginning. That is wonderful. We would probably word it if we were writing it in a paper for our teacher, declaring the beginning from the end. But see, the Lord can, it doesn't matter what end of the timeline he starts with. He can start at the end of the timeline and move back to the beginning declaring the end from the beginning. I love these words. He knows the end of your life. He knows the beginning of your life, your job that you're looking forward to. He knows the end and the beginning of your job. And when you interview for a job, you should be willing to tell him, you close doors that you don't like for me and open doors that are good for me. Because you see the end from the beginning and I don't even know where the restrooms are. And when you go for an interview, you don't even know where the restrooms are. But that's our God. When, you go in, when you're going in for surgery, tell the Lord, you see the end from the beginning. Work this out for me. He can do all that. He sees it all. And his counsel will stand. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, a long time ago, the things that are not yet done. He's told us a long time ago things that are still yet future. Isaiah is saying to the captive remnant in Babylon, and he's done it for us. We know things that are still yet to come. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to split the skies open and return with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on certain categories of people. We know who they are and who he is going to redeem. We know what kind of sinners are outside the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and what sinners are inside. We know the great day of judgment. We know what he looks like. We know his name. We know his multiple names. He is called the word of God. We know so much. We're going to get a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to inherit all things. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done. And this is primarily, I am going to send my people into captivity. It was prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 32. All you've got to go is to go to Deuteronomy 32. Go to Leviticus 26. 
God said, when you sin against me enough, I will send you into captivity. In that place, when you cry unto me, I'll rescue you and bring you home. Solomon, when he was on his knees, with his hands raised, offering the dedicatory prayer for his temple, he said, Lord, in fulfillment of Moses' words, when we are captive in a foreign place, and we turn toward this place, because we are the virgin daughter of Zion, and we turn toward Zion and we pray, hear the prayer of your people, because they're praying toward the remains of this place, after it's been leveled to the ground, hear and deliver them. And so Daniel, three times a day, went to his apartment and ripped that window open and got down on his knees and faced Jerusalem. Mecca was not a place to face until 700 A.D. We are talking about Daniel in 500 B.C. That's 1,200 years before the devil aped us in the Muslim religion or Islam. Daniel prayed toward where Jerusalem's temple had stood because Solomon had prayed, if they'll pray in the direction of this place, hear thou from heaven, we have built you the best palace that we can, but when we sin against thee and are in a foreign land a thousand miles away, hear from heaven. And God heard from heaven. And God sent Cyrus the Persian to rescue them. My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I'm going to put my people in Babylon for 70 years, and then I'm going to bring them home. Verse 11, calling a ravenous bird from the east. If you're not familiar with Middle East geography, Iran is east of Iraq. If you're not familiar with the names of those nations, Iran equals Persia. They know it. You should know it. We used to call him the Shah of Iran. They're, they know that they're Persians. That's from the East. You know, you know this already from the chapters we've already covered. From 41, where it calls him that. Calling a ravenous bird from the East. It's a bird because of speed. It's ravenous because he wasn't content with Lydia and Media, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, God's servant, the shepherd for the people of Israel. And this ravenous bird, Cyrus the Persian, came into Babylon and ravished it. And its women, its women and stole its gods and took over the city and redeemed the people of God. You know, that's really chapter 47, but I want you to be thinking about the tremendous difference this man made that God was using. Cyrus is not special by himself. Cyrus is special because God picked him and blessed him to do what he did. God blessed that man. God blessed him to come out of obscurity and take on media and win and take on Lydia and win and take on Babylon and win. And then God blessed him by knowing that there was a charge from heaven for him to do something. And so he made a proclamation that the God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the world and hath charged me to build him a house. So I'm going to build him a temple in Jerusalem. And you Jews are going to do it. And any of you that want to go home, go on home. Any of you that want to stay here, why don't you cough up some money to help the ones that are going home. This is what he wrote. It's the first four verses of Ezra chapter 1, and it's the previous four verses that end 2 Chronicles chapter 36. They're wonderful verses in the Bible. They're repeated. There's 19 references of this man. 
He was named by God a hundred years before he was born and a hundred and sixty years before he came against Babylon. And the Lord says about his plans for Cyrus, I have spoken it. Do you know how we lay hold of that statement? God said it. That settles it. And for those captive Jews in Babylon, I have spoken it. Thus saith the Lord. Those are wonderful words. Everything in our lives, everything in our church life should be based on thus saith the Lord. I will also bring it to pass. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Cyrus executed God's counsel, and God's counsel was God's pleasure, decreed from ancient times. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Acts 15, 18 was called upon by James in the great council at Jerusalem. It hasn't changed Old Testament, New Testament. It's still the same. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. He has a counsel, and he brings that counsel to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. I've got the power to do it. I'm going to raise up a man that is not going to be intimidated by Media, Lydia, or Babylon, and he will take it all down and make it his own. You don't know him, and he's going to come out of obscurity, but I can name him 100 years before he's even born. It's fantastic prophecy here. And the lesson is, to the people of God, our God identifies himself by his fulfilled prophecies. I'm better than those gods in nature. Far better. I don't even like using that word. There is an infinite difference between an inanimate object and our God, who's the fountainhead of all wisdom. And then he's different because he can declare the future and bring it to pass. He can declare it before he made Adam in Genesis chapter 1 and bring it to pass. And they can't hear, answer, move, or do anything. They have nothing. And this tremendous difference in nature, tremendous difference in prophecy. And we have this advantage in our religion over other religions and their gods. And that is our God has declared things and put them in writing that were to happen in the future, and they happened. And the dating of the writing can be determined historically to have been before the event took place and the fulfillment after it was written by a short distance of time or a great distance of time. And there are hundreds of them in the Bible. The last lesson. God is far better than idols by salvation. Verses, verses 12 and 13. Hearken unto me. Now he has said that already that uh, Israel ought to hearken unto him back in verses 3 and 4 to make the comparison between the Persians carrying Babylon's gods and their god carrying them. And he's asking them again, Hearken unto me, ye stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. In these chapters of the 40s of Isaiah, sometimes God identifies his people as having been transgressors because they had been transgressors. Daniel had to confess a whole pile of sins in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19 or so, in his great prayer. He had to confess their sins. And so he he calls his people transgressors in verse 8, and he calls them stout-hearted here. You are proud and rebellious. You're you're stiff-necked. 
You've resisted me. You're stout-hearted. You don't, you're not soft-hearted. You haven't been tender toward my warnings. Hearken unto me, ye stout-hearted, that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. I'm going to come and save you. You haven't been righteous. I had to chasten you. I am righteous. And I am now going to deliver you according to my promise and by my forgiveness, according to your confession of your sins. And I am now going to punish righteously those that were used by me to chasten you. It's an incredible transaction that took place by Cyrus. He not only delivered his church out of Babylon and brought them back home, but he then punished those that he had used as a chastening rod. Do you remember Sennacherib? Sennacherib was the same way, though he was a Syrian. When I'm done using the axe and the saw, when I'm done using him, then I will punish him. Because he thinks in his heart that he himself is doing something and I'm not using him. But God is going to punish the Babylonians because they were extra cruel toward his people and they should have known better. This is the next chapter, but do you remember that Nebuchadnezzar knew about Jeremiah? Nebuchadnezzar took personal care of Jeremiah. Do you remember that an ambassador, Merodach Baladan, came from Babylon to meet Hezekiah because of the wonder done in the land? They knew about the God of the Jews. And yet they treated those people poorly on that thousand-mile trek. And the Lord's going to bring it up in the next chapter. And so, in righteousness, you people weren't righteous, but I'm going to bring my righteousness. I've chastened you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to take you back home according to my counsel. It's not going to be afar off. My salvation's not going to tarry. It's time for it. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Israel is the object of my glory and my affection. I'm going to save them and I'm going to get them back into Jerusalem. And so we have Isaiah chapter 46, where God comforts his people, his captive people in Babylon and tells them how he is going to rescue them. Contrary to their character and deserved judgment, God would perform their salvation and he did it. And he, he's going to carry us. We're his glory. That was spoken to us this morning in the prayer room. That we are the glory of God and his son Jesus Christ. We are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And he's coming for us. And he's going to take us to himself and we'll spend eternity with him. He has carried us to this day. Every one of us should eagerly admit that God has carried us to this day. And He will carry us every other day we have in this world. And then He will carry us for eternity's day. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And it's of Zion and, Israel of, and the Israel of God. And we are His glory. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word.